Praise the Lord. It's good to see everyone here, a bunch of world changers, changing the world. I want to talk today out of 2 Corinthians. It was years ago when I first learned about praying in tongues. Pastor Dave blew my world up, or God did through Pastor Dave. And I got excited because, hey, I got a... You know, I've got a message of how to walk into the things of God. And up to that point, I'd heard enough preachers to know that uh, there's a, what Dave would call a ceiling on people's lives where you do everything you can, but you still can't produce what Jesus did. You pour every ounce of faith, every ounce of belief, every ounce of action trying to get God to do what he says he already has done. Messages of prosperity. You, God wants you blessed and abundant. Then follows up with, why are you not blessed and abundant? Well, because you're not giving enough. You're not doing enough. You need to plant a seed. How many messages did I hear about, you're not prosperous because you didn't plant enough seed last year. So if you want prosperity for next year, you need to plant a seed of offering today. Not next week when the other preacher's here, today when I'm here. (laughs) And so out of that desire to see God's word come to pass, many of us have been manipulated into all kinds of things. And I want to be careful when I use that word because I don't think all preachers are trying to manipulate you to get your money. I think it becomes part of a system, part of a a practice in the church that becomes so normal that it just feels normal. That they may be trying their best to see you blessed. But I remember hearing one preacher say, it was at a business conference with a bunch of millionaires, and he said, you know, if you want to be wealthy like me, then why don't you go down to the bank? I'll tell you exactly how did, how I did it, one way I did it. Go down to the bank, get a million-dollar loan, and go buy 10 houses and rent them out. And right at the million-dollar loan is where he lost me. Like, no bank's going to give me a million-dollar loan. (laughs) But it's similar, and I think what I want to try to uproot today, or continue to uproot, or we have to uproot, is the natural man's ability to serve God. And... It's similar to if I were uh, six foot eight and I was athletic and played basketball. And I came to you and said, now, if you want to be as good as me in basketball, let's say I was LeBron James or a Michael Jordan, and say, you want to be as good as me, here's what I did. I practiced 10 hours a day. I... Uh, did this and did that. And so everyone says, oh, I'm going to be a basketball star like those guys. So I'm going to practice like them. The problem is you'll never be a basketball star because you're not as athletic or as talented or as tall as I am. Even though it was so good for one person, doesn't mean it's good for you. See, and that's the world of men. The world of man is unfair that people are born with different everything different height, different brain power, different skill set. And because we've allowed that to creep into the church, it has given us 
without trying a competition, a measuring mark against another person to say, unless I'm doing that, I'm not doing God's business. Just like an evangelist would come in. And if he wasn't an evangelist, he'd probably be a sales guy. He might be a sales guy on the side. Because there's some guys who don't care about you not liking them. They're just trying to get your money. That's a sales guy. Sales guy has no problem interrupting your day if there's a chance they'll get your money. Well, an evangelist is the same way. They have no problem interrupting your day uh, if there's a chance they can get you saved. And we need evangelists. There's people called to be evangelists. And everyone in the church is called to share their testimony. But not everyone is called to be an evangelist in the sense of uh, when the evangelist comes to church today, he looks at you and says, oh, I see you got a Starbucks coffee. How, did you witness to everyone in the Starbucks? How many people did you get saved this week? I'd got three people born again just this morning in Starbucks. You know, you should do like me. And we position ourselves higher than the next person using our natural ability. And we do it in the name of God. And this is where American religion has gotten so boring, is that it has allowed the natural ability, people in their natural ability, to serve God and offer to God the fruit of their natural ability. Which goes to tell you that, you know, you don't need God to be blessed in America. You can do it all by yourself. We want a walk with God, and you and I are on a mission to walk with God that will require Him and Him alone in your life. And that means that there's a lot that has to be undone in the church world today. And that I believe that's, if not at least half of our message at the prayer center, is saying, oh, you know all that you learned in Sunday school? That's not God. <laughs> You know, all all that you learned in all those lessons and all you used to get excited about, we found out that's not God. That's half of our message because there is a letting go of that culture before you can embrace the culture of what we call revival. Revival is a good term. I think a better term to add to that would be to walk as Jesus walked. Because that's really what revival is. It's not that we're trying to reach a, a day, like one day we'll be in revival and that'll be a glorious 24 hours and then that's it. We made it to the finish line. Walking like Jesus walked means that once you get to that finish line, there's a lot of work to do afterwards. It's not a one-day line that you finish. It's a lifestyle where people who came to Jesus to get healed, everyone got healed. When they come to us, to you, we want them to get the same results. And not just the healing, that's the problem. It's also the love, the holiness, the compassion, the uh, maturity, the obedience to God. It's not just a one-deal thing. So in 2 Corinthians, when I learned about praying tongues, I got excited because I thought, hey, I got an extra secret on these other guys where they didn't really grab hold of the message of prayer, but I was up every morning praying early. And the way I saw it was I'm part of a tree of beliefs. 
And the praying in tongues lets the tree grow higher. So my tree is going to go higher than these other guys because I'm praying in tongues and they're not. And the Lord said, no, it's a different tree. That the tree that I had been brought up in was a tree of, Pastor Jim called it a tree of religion, where you can serve God, follow God in your natural ability, but never really walk in all that God has for you. That tree has a height limit. Just like trees in, in your backyard, one tree, you'll fertilize it, it'll only grow so tall. You can't make it grow taller because that's the only height it can go once it reached its maximum. And other trees, by their DNA, are ten times as tall. Well, that's the tree of revival. Tree of revival is there's no limitations on God. The problem is that God has to work through you. <laughs> You're the limitation. God, why am I not blessed like you said? Why am I not healed like you said? It's not his fault. He's not the one stuck. So on the tree of revival, this tree, the Lord told me it's a different tree. Both belief systems get you to heaven. But only one can get you to where you're walking like Jesus is walking. Only one belief system can get you to that place. The other one will leave you short after you spend all those years, you find out it's a dead end, it never came to pass. And that's what I would call the tree of revival. The example the Lord gave me was two guys come to my service. One guy's a drunk, they pick him up on the street, they promise him lunch, so he comes in the car and comes to church. The other guy drives himself in his his beautiful car with his family, and he's a doctor, he's thin, he's got all his hair and wealthy. Him and his family come sit on the second row, and his wife's there, his two kids. And over here is a homeless guy that someone tricked into coming to church. Both of them are not born again. One's wealthy, successful in every way possible in this world. He's disciplined, he's healthy, he's prosperous, he's not in debt, he's not immature. And then I've got a guy over here who's an alcoholic. His family's given up on him. And he's in church. And both men get saved for the first time under my tremendous teaching. Now, in many churches today, we could take the doctor and say, Dr. So-and-so, with a beautiful family, your kids are... They're not screaming in church. They're not playing on the iPad in church. You've got disciplined kids. You, I can see you've got very little fat on you. You've you're got your hair. You've got finances. You're disciplined. Your life is in order. And right next to him is a drunk who just smells still off the street. Doctor, can I give you the mic and ask you to teach us how to have what you have? And see, what we have to understand as a church... Our job as a church is not to teach the world how to be successful. Our job as a church is not even to teach you how to be successful. The moment we take the position of dictating to a person what success is in their life, in other words, we give them direction, we give them, you need to be doing this to be successful, you need to be doing that to be successful, The moment we take that role, we're taking the role of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. So the role of the church is more about encouraging people to go into the Holy Spirit, 
encouraging people to obey God themselves. Because there's days where you're going to have to obey God, and the only one talking to you about you is God. Everyone else will have abandoned you. It'll just be you and God. So you don't want to put your hopes on a preacher or a teacher. You don't want to put your life on the line because some some preacher told you this is what you're supposed to do. You want to hear God on your own. God, what am I supposed to do? So as preachers then, that changes the way that we can help people. And that changes the way that you can be a preacher in other people's lives. Because you can be a dictator in people's lives. You walk in the room and everyone changes because they want to, they know that if they don't, you're going to get on to them. Or you can be an encourager to say, my job is to encourage you to keep spending time with the Holy Spirit. To keep spending time with God and don't give up. Don't give up on spending time with God. It's easy, it's easier to give up on your personal time with God when you come out of the system of thought, of religion, of that one tree, where it teaches you how to be successful. They teach you how you can be successful. You want to be successful in God's kingdom, you should have the nicest house in the neighborhood. You should be believing God for finances. But yet in Scripture, we don't quite see that. We don't see the man of God living in abundance of finances. We don't see the Apostle Paul talking about how he believed in an extra cottage in an extra town by the sea. We see a man willing to lay his life down, being beaten up, robbed, resisted everywhere he went. I'm sharing this today because for you to move forward in God, for me to move forward in God, we have to let go of much of the teaching that brought us so far. Otherwise, you will always feel like a failure every day. When's my promise going to come to pass? Let me ask some of you right now, just interview you. Are you going to give up on praying in tongues? It's an interview. I'm interviewing you. Hello. Welcome to the prayer center TV. Now, I'd like to interview a guest here. You've been praying in tongues how long? 15 years. Wow, good for you. I noticed you, your car wasn't the nicest car in the neighborhood when you pulled up today. I noticed that you're having struggles in personal areas of your life finances, family, health. Why don't you just believe and walk in it? Do you think you're trying to earn it by praying in tongues? I've had that conversation with people, or they've had that conversation with me. They never come to you when you're strong. It's when you go through a battle, they start to come out of the, the woodwork to try to preach to you their philosophy. It's like a six foot ten guy telling me, you need to play basketball. You can be good like me. See, that's never going to happen because I don't have what he has or she has. So when you're going through a battle, a struggle that's been exposed in your life by the enemy, if you go to the wrong tree for answers, you won't get the answers you're after. 
you only get defeated. The way the Lord showed me was there is a standard of living right that is within many of our churches today. And basically it means if you're not too dysfunctional, then you're walking in the blessings of God. If you have your act together enough, you make this much money, you've only been married this many times, you have this many kids, you drive this kind of car. If you live up to that standard, then you are marked as a success. When you walk into the church, you might as well wear a little badge, successful in God. You feel good, the people notice you, you feel like you've accomplished what you were supposed to do. That you're walking in the blessings of God, that means that if you're walking in the blessings of God, then God's hand is on you. And if you're not walking in the blessings of God, let's say you're dysfunctional. You come from a dysfunctional background. And you try with all your might and all your strength to be that person that will get the badge when you walk in the church. But you just can't get there. You can't make enough money. You can't be organized enough. You're not capable enough. And you keep hitting that wall. Eventually, you will give up on God and on church. Because you say, preacher, I've tried everything you've told me to do. And it's all failed me. I can't seem to get across that line. And so what we have in our churches today is we have churches that are clubs where if you can make it across the line, you feel welcomed, successful, and blessed of God. So you stay in that church and you pat each other on the back, if I can say, and prophesy to each other about how God's going to use you. And everyone leaves happy, motivated. But if you can't make that line, then you end up giving up. You quit on church, on God, on everything. And there we have many, many millions of people that have given up on believing God because they were trying to find a pathway in a system that they were not ever going to make it. The gospel that we preach is one that is very focused on spiritual growth and natural mortification. It doesn't match with the other tree. Success in your life may not be uh, finances. Do you understand? You may never get to say, I don't want to talk unbelief. I'm going to talk obedience. You may never get to say, God gave me a million dollars. Or I gave a million dollars. You may never get to say that. You may never get to say that I won 50 people to the Lord. You may never get to say that because maybe God has something different for you that doesn't include those two bragging rights. That means that you have to mature, be mature enough to accept that the only one who can ever recognize how successful I am is God. And I'm okay with that. Everyone else may say, ah, they're okay. They believe okay, but they're not in the fullness of the gospel. I guess I guess defensive because there's people who keep trying to 
not so much me anymore, but people I love, they come to people I love to try to dislodge them from the message of prayer. And I'll fight you enough over me. I'll bite you back. But if you mess with someone I love, I'll really bite back. And I watch them come around the prayer center people, and they, they begin to try to influence them. Now, these are people who aren't any more successful than, than the people they're trying to preach to. But yet they want to be preachers. So they say, ah, all that time praying, you just have to walk it out. Just walk in it. Just believe. That's all you got to do is believe. And it's true. We don't blame God for our lack of anything. But that doesn't work. It works for a little bit until it doesn't work. It works to say, you just need to go pray for the sick and see them recover. That's what I do. Okay, how many people have you seen healed? Oh, many people healed. Yeah, but what about our, our broken kids that are born broken? Oh, well, you know, we don't pray for them. We only pray for the ones that work. Only pray for the little things. See, you're on a mission to see revival that says anyone who comes to you, no matter what condition, they get healed every time they come to you. That's what happened with Jesus. So you hit this wall where you and I are not walking in everything the Word says we can have. The next question is, how do we get there? How are you going to get there? I'm going to come back to 2 Corinthians. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians 12, we have Paul, in essence, rebuking the preachers for living like Old Testament saints. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we have the Apostle Paul giving them the pathway to walk as a New Testament child of God. In other words, if you accept the gifting as your calling, then you're accepting a lesser calling. The one tree of religion can help you walk in the gifts. It can help you to walk in the power of God without the maturity of God. It can help you to walk in seeing deaf ears healed 50% of the time, but not walk in holiness or in love. How many of you have been in services where you've discovered the preacher that was anointed, that walked in power, that prophesied, that could read your mail, ended up not living holy or in love? How many have discovered that and had the question, God, why are you using that man when they're a jerk? Why are you using that man when they're a thief, a liar? The explanation is in 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul is talking to a church of preachers who are doing just that, walking in power and using their gifting as reason why you need to look up to them. The reason you need to look up to me and follow me is because look at what I walk in. Look at the power of God in me. Look at me prophesy. Look at me read your mail. Look at me minister to you. It's the gifting that Paul is saying that the Holy Ghost works through giftings. And the gifting is okay if that's all you got. 
And that's why he says in verse 31, But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. The more excellent way is to not walk in the gifts, but to walk with the Holy Spirit completely and wholly. Did it ever make you question why, why is there these gifts when talking about the Holy Spirit? How many of you, you ladies would be offended if you cooked your Thanksgiving dinner and your husband introduced you to the guests? This is the cook. And that's what you're recognized for, your gift. Not mama, not that she did with passion. She's the cook. And this is the husband, he's the provider. He brought in the money. And that's all you recognize for. In chapter 12, when he breaks down the gifts of the Holy Spirit, he's simply describing the ways that the Holy Spirit operates in your life. And if you force him to, he will give you, in your calling, a gifting, singular, that goes with your calling because you forced him to operate to you that way. That's all you get. Unless you're one of the good preachers there, paperwork, it's Apostle Alan Taylor, pastor, evangelist, operating the gift of wisdom, the gift of knowledge, gift of miracles. I list as many gifts as I can. But truthfully, God wants to operate through you in his entirety. Not just in a singular gift or even a double gift if you're extra blessed and anointed. The giftings were given to the church because they were immature, not because they were mature. God had to work through the giftings in the First Corinthians church because of their immaturity, because of their carnality. In other words, these Children, these babies in the Lord, these carnal preachers were preaching Jesus and seeing miracles and having signs and wonders, having spectacular services, church growth, and yet they're full of carnality, the way they lived, the way they thought, the way they served God. Why were they able to walk in miracles and still be carnal? Because the Holy Ghost worked through, in the Old Testament, carnal men. Moses was not born again. Yet he saw God move in amazing ways. The Holy Ghost will operate through your carnality if you force him to. That means it doesn't cost you. In chapter 13, verse 31, I'll read first in chapter 12. But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. So if you're called to finances, I would say the best gift is the word of knowledge, to know when to make a deal, when not to make a deal. But there's a more excellent way. Please say that for me, a more excellent way. Now, these two chapters have been preached about so much that before we're ever going to really understand it, we have to unlearn a ton of stuff of what you thought you knew before. If I'm talking to a Mormon boy and we're having a showdown, they usually come in pairs, elder, elder, knocking on your door and you have a showdown. And you say, 
you need to get born again. And those two elders will look at you and say, no, you need to get born again. Well, you need to get baptized in the Holy Ghost. No, you need to get baptized in the Holy Ghost. Well, you need to get saved and love Jesus. No, you need to get saved and love Jesus. See, everything you say, they will say back to you because they have the same terminology. Just it's a different Jesus, a different Holy Ghost than what you're talking about. Well, same thing with the two trees that I'm trying to describe. One, religion, the other one, revival, is they have the same terminology. So when you say you need to love God, they'll say amen. No, you need to love God. You need to walk in prosperity. No, you, you know, if you're believing for your unsaved child to go to heaven, when I say prosperity, guess what you're thinking of? My child coming to the altar and accepting Jesus. Not a million dollars. So the terminology we use, we're going to have to define for ourselves what we think it means. So he says, let me show you a more excellent way. There's a better way than to walk in the gifts. When someone talks about the gifts, I remember having the questions. We'd have a guy come in to our service and he would prophesy. like He could tell you what you had for dinner. He could read your license number back to you. I mean, it was amazing things. And yet, then he'd share about Jesus and share like stuff that wasn't even scriptural. Even I knew it back then. Or a man who would see deaf ears healed in the service, but then be a jerk in the back room to the helpers, not walk in love. And so we all had those questions. How can a person walk in power or in spiritual gifts, but not walk in love and holiness? And this is Paul's answer, chapter 12 and chapter 13, is correcting the preachers in the church about how and what is the proper path for the church, for preachers, for men and women of God in the church today? Chapter 12 is how they were operating. And it was okay. But it was not full. It was not complete. Chapter 13 is the more excellent way. Though I speak with tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Now, I'm going to read some of this. I'm going to ask you to tell your brain to pay attention. And I say that because we know this verse so well, these verses, that we think we know it. And so we can dismiss it. Let's go up here to... Oh, let's go to verse 28. 27 of chapter 12. Now, you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers after that miracles, and gifts of healings, helps, administration, variety of tongues. So there he mentions the eight different jobs in the body. Are all apostles? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. So not everyone is called to be an apostle. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles or evangelists? No. Do all have gifts of healings? No. Now, in these verses, he's talking about the giftings that go with the calling. 
If you're called to be an evangelist, you have the gift of healings on you to operate in, whether you're holy, whether you walk in love, if you just go be an evangelist, you can expect the gifts of healings to show, or gift of miracles to show up in your job. The gift is what gives you the ability to do your job without paying the price. So every evangelist has the working of miracles or the gift of miracles that he can show up in. That's why if we, we send someone to uh, a nation, a Muslim nation, and we raise the money together, we save our money, and we send this family to a Muslim nation, and they go there and they send us letters back. This month was good. I, I went down to the, the city square and began to teach and uh, got into it with a Muslim leader, and, and really I got some good progress. He accepted that maybe my Bible was authentic. And then six months later, almost got a homeless kid saved today. Taught him about John 3.16 and went to the Greek and Hebrew and, of the Bible and showed him how Muslim was wrong. And after one year, we get a report. We got three people saved after one year. Praise God for a good work. Well, that was a teacher that we sent to do an evangelist job. We send an evangelist. They get a letter back saying, yeah, first day I put up a little microphone and a speaker on the town square and I saw a couple blind eyes healed, deaf ears healed, and had 300 people born again first day. Why? Because the evangelist has a job to do. And with that job is the gifting to do that job. See, and that's why if you're an evangelist, you can expect the gift of miracles. But I can't teach you how to walk in the gift of miracles if you're not an evangelist. What happened is people who operate in the gifts brag about how God is using them because... They're doing something right. The reason God's using me is because I'm special. You should listen to me. That's what was happening in the first Corinthian church. That's why there were divisions. So the giftings go with the calling. There is callings in the church for someone to give a prophecy. There's callings in the church group, in a church service, for someone to give a tongue and for someone to give an interpretation. So, in other words, in a church service, under the old uh, gifts, someone might stand up and say, I have a tongue to give. And they would speak in tongues, and that tongue was only good if there was an interpreter in the service. I know I'm going back to 101, but some people may need to hear this. So, verse 29, are all apostles, chapter 12, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles. No, we have different jobs, and therefore we each have different giftings to go with our jobs. Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Now, this is not talking about your personal prayer language. This is talking about in a church service, okay? That there is a calling in a church service for those who are living in that giftings to someone give a tongue but then it's only good if someone gives an interpretation how many know that teaching you don't need me to repeat it this is talking about in a church service not your personal prayer language do all speak with tongues do all interpret the answer is no 
can I ask you a question? Uh, Rachel, every Sunday you get to, God uses you to give a prophecy or a tongue. That's so awesome. Yes, yes. I'm awesome. Thank you. If you just worship God like I do, he'll use you the same way. But you can't worship your way, beg your way, talk your way into a calling. Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? So if we were to do it in a service, a tongue, that would be in a heavenly language. So we'll use Mike stands up and says, You know, the way I always love when people get out and do that. Sometimes they're dramatic. Sometimes they're quiet, you know. And I always love the dramatic ones. Then if you're the interpreter, you've got to add the same passion to the, you know. The interpretation means it's not a translation. It's an interpretation, which means somebody will stand up and say, the Lord told me to tell you in your language what he said through Mike in the heavenly language. Amen? Are you with me so far? Because part of the problem in the church was people are just speaking in tongues in their personal prayer language and not benefiting the church. So do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? So all that he's talking about in chapter 12 is the operation that the Holy Spirit does through individuals under the gifts and callings. Then he says, do all have gifts of healings? No. Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. So he's saying it's okay for you to live there. God's still going to use you in your gifting and calling. So if you're called to be a businessman, you might as well give up on believing for the gifts of miracles. Because that's not with your calling. But there is an excellent way, a way for you to walk in all of God that's outside of the organization of gifts and callings where you can walk with the Holy Spirit as who he is. He's not just the cook or he's not just the provider that day. He's everything to you. He is the Holy Spirit. Everything that God is, the Holy Spirit is. We don't want to just break him down to nine parts and say, today, this is my part, that's your part. We want all of the Holy Spirit. If I'm an evangelist or if I'm a businessman and my child gets sick, I want all of the Holy Spirit and his power to be in my home to see my child healed. I don't care if he can teach me how to make a million dollars. I want the miracle worker there that day for that moment. Well, the pathway through the gifts and calling means that you'll never get all of the Holy Spirit. You're limiting him to work through you with your calling. But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Though I speak with tongues of men and angels. So now he's beginning in chapter 13 to dismantle what they've been doing and giving themselves a pat on the back for. Saying that, look how God's using me. Therefore, God is pleased with me. And God's hand of approval is stamped on my forehead because look how God is using me. Say amen if I'm still making sense. So in the first Corinthian church, they were using the fact that God was using them as a sign that they were walking in the fullness of God. Therefore, you need to listen to me, follow me, submit to me, honor me, 
with your money. They were living like kings, Apostle Paul said, when really they should be the servants. Though I speak with tongues of men and angels. Here he's talking, referring to the gift of tongues for a service and the, the gift of interpretation for the service. Though I may spe- sit in a service, stand up and give a tongue, and someone may stand up and give the interpretation, tongues of men and angels. Not talking about your personal prayer language. In other words, even though God used me in a church service to speak for him, but have not love. Now this have not love does not mean I love you. Because, you know, you have people that that's their, their greatest manipulation is I love you. They love everyone. everyone if, I always have a saying that if everyone is your friend, you really don't have a friend. Let me say that again in case you missed that. If everyone is your friend, you really don't have a friend. Because there's people who are so bound by fear they don't know how to stand up for themselves. They don't know how to speak their mind. They use love as a tool to get people to like them. And that's not the love that he's talking about here, where everyone thinks you're just lovey-dovey except the people who are closest to you. Though I speak with tongues of man and angels. So here he's talking specifically about the gift of tongues for a service or the gift of interpretation for a church service. So if God used you in a church service to give a gift of tongues or the interpretation in language of men, but have not love, what that means is, because you may hear someone say, yeah, you can pray in tongues all you want, but if you have not love, then it's just noise. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying, have not love means that the, the source of authority that God used for you to operate in that gift, that God cannot use the love in you to authorize the gift, the Holy Spirit working through you. So he had to use your calling. He couldn't use your maturity. He couldn't use the love developed in you. He couldn't use the holiness developed in you. He had to use his gifting, and your calling was the authority. So there's two ways to operate with God. Number one, he can use your calling, which you were called before your mom knew you. In your mother's womb, he called you. God put a calling on you. So you can either force God to use your calling as the authority for the Holy Ghost to operate in your life, at which point you limit him to only operate in the gifting that goes with your calling. Or the other authority, the more excellent way, is that you develop the love of God in your life. That that love of God is the authority that the Holy Ghost uses to show up completely wherever you are. Not just from the pulpit, not just in a business deal, but everywhere you go, he's able to operate through you the way he did with Jesus. Though I speak with tongues of men and angels, so that means that God used you in a church service. But have not love. It wasn't because you have love. It was because you're called to give a tongue or an interpretation. I have become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. This is Apostle Paul rebuking everyone who operated in chapter 12. This is Apostle Paul rebuking the preachers in the church, 
the leaders in the church for operating, representing God in the giftings, but not in the love. That you're just a clanging cymbal, a sounding brass. You're a noisemaker because it didn't cost you anything. All you had to do was stand up and give a tongue. It wasn't because you were mature. That wasn't God's hand acknowledging you as being special. That was because of your calling and the gifting. Verse 2. And though I have a gift of prophecy and understand in all mysteries, in all knowledge. So he's talking about a gift. Say gift. So even these are the gifts he talked about in chapter 12. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries. There's one prophet right now that's pretty popular. And really all he does, he gets, I mean, he does more, I'm sure. But why he's so popular is he'll get up and he'll begin to tell you specific details i mean your license number where you live and i i watched about 10 minutes of the service and i thought wow that's impressive but i found myself impressed with him and i thought well that's great he impressed me but what changed other than applause and wow wow that was amazing what changed in my life by sitting in that service other than being impressed with that gifting. And though I have the gift of prophecy, think about how many preachers today that you've been impressed by in your past. You have someone with the gift of prophecy. They understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith so I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So the reason why all those things happen, the prophecy the understanding of mysteries, the knowledge and faith to move mountains was because of the gift, not because of love, then you have am nothing. There's people who will testify about how God used them. And they're like a six foot ten guy telling you, you should be like me. God's used me because I'm great. You can be great too. But all this happened is they did something. God worked through them. But it wasn't because they matured in love. It wasn't because they were mature in holiness. It was because of the gifting and calling on their life. And though I have, I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. And though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Can you imagine getting to heaven? Oh, I'm glad you're here. Me too. I'm so glad I'm here. I'm ready for my reward. Where's my reward, God? Well, you don't get a reward. But I gave all my money to feed the poor. I gave my body to be burned. I gave my life for the gospel. See, then God will say, yeah, thank you for that. But that was the gifting on me. The evangelist says, I had, God, I had a thousand people saved a day in my ministry. And you got me standing beside someone who got three people born again. I expect my reward. Yeah, but your thousand a day came because of my gifting on your life. It was a gift. It didn't cost you anything. It was a gift. God gave it to you for free. Okay, but I was still there. Shouldn't I get a reward? I put the time in. Yeah, but every man around the world just about works every day, a good eight hours a day. So why would you get a better reward than that guy? But God, you use me. No, I worked through you, but you did not give me what I needed to do what I really wanted. 
You limited me to the gifts. I gave you the calling. I gave you the gifts. I get the reward. You don't get the reward. The reward is not for how God uses you. The reward, according to chapter 13, is how much of God's love you've allowed to grow in you. How much of God's love you've allowed to become you where he uses the love in you to be the authority of how he works, not your calling. There will be many people who will stand before God and he'll say, I'm sorry, all that you gave and all that you did is going to profit you nothing. Chapter 13 is a stunning rebuke to the first Corinthians leaders and pastors saying that all that you're doing and you're taking credit for, you shouldn't be taking credit for it because you're not walking in love. You're walking in selfishness. You're walking in pride to walk in love. It costs you to walk in love. It means you've made choices to lay down your life. You made sacrifices to walk in holiness. It costs you something. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, Think about how many testimonies you've heard during offerings. I give my body to be burned, but have not love. So in other words, if the authority that God used in your life, at the end of your life, he looks at your life, and the authority that he had to use to operate through you was your calling, then you get no profit, no reward. The reward is tied into how much of his love you've allowed to grow in your life. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Where, whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. It's saying here that the giftings, as you walk in love, will vanish away. That you'll no longer be limited to the giftings because you've now given God what he really needs to operate fully in you. And that is love maturing inside of you. So when it talks about the prophecies will fail, tongues will cease, he's not talking about heaven. He's talking about the gift that God had to use in your life because of your immaturity will disappear and you'll have all of the Holy Spirit working through you in every way possible because you gave him what he really needs and that is maturity in love. Love never fails, but whether there's prophecies, they will fail. Their tongues, they will cease. When there's knowledge, it'll vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. That's what he's telling the first Corinthian church. All that you talk about is only a portion of God. It's a part. It's like looking at your mom and saying, introducing to all your new friends saying, this is the cook. I'm giving you a part of my mom, what she does today. But she's more than just the cook. But your friends may only know her as the cook because that's the only time that you've introduced her was to eat. Well, the Holy Ghost is more than miracles. The Holy Ghost is more than praying in tongues in a service. The Holy Ghost is more than reading your mail or telling you what you had for dinner. The Holy Ghost as a whole is not in part, but that's what he's correcting in 1 Corinthians 13, is you're operating in the gifts, you're operating in part, because the, the way, the more excellent way, is to grow up in love. 
And that allows the Holy Ghost in his fullness to walk through every person, not just those called to different areas. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. So even the prophesying and all that's gone forward is just a portion, a part of the Holy Ghost and not the fullness because we've not given him the love, the maturing. But when that which is perfect or mature has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. So when that love matures in you to the point that you are loving like Jesus loved, you're no longer limited to a portion of the Holy Ghost working through you. You can have all of the Holy Ghost working through you, no matter what your calling is. You're still called. It won't change. But now you're not limited to just that portion, that part, that gift of the Holy Ghost. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. And when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, we can go back in 1 Corinthians and see where Paul calls them children, calls them babes, calls them carnal. That's him. This is him rebuking them. When I was a child, I was like you, a little child playing in the toys, playing in the gifts. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. You understand, Paul is here calling the gifting structure of the church immature and childish. The only reason God, you've limited God to the giftings is because of your immaturity. Don't be proud that God used you in miracles while you did not love a person or you weren't walking in holiness. You should be embarrassed that you had to limit the Holy Spirit to a part of who he is in your life. And so much of the church world today is bragging, just like the First Corinthians church, about how God is using me in miracles and signs and wonders. We Now on social media, we... They say, did you really feed the poor if you didn't put it on social media? I'm just sitting here with my coffee, with my Bible, spending time with the Holy Ghost this morning. You know, you got to put that on there so everyone knows that you spent time with God. Does it count? In today's world, it's so much about the person trying to feel worthy because there's so much comparison one to another. That's from the wrong tree. The tree of revival the tree of walking like Jesus walked starts the moment you're born again. The two men that got saved, the rich man, the doctor, and the poor man, the drunkard, they both start at the same place. The rich man cannot tell you how to be rich. He can't tell you how to have a good family. He can give you little hints in the natural. But truth is, everything he learned and developed in his life came from the world of darkness. It did not come from this love. It came from the world of darkness. And so much of that worldly wisdom has crept into the church that the church itself has lost its focus on bringing Jesus into the world and has become how to be successful in life. How to feel successful. My prayers are, God, I want blessings. I want abundance. And not, God, I want to lay my life down. Verse 11. When I was a child... I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we look or we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. When is now? 
As a child, I look in the mirror and I see dimly. But then, when is then? When I'm mature, when I'm full grown, face to face. Now, as a child, I know in part. But then, I shall know just as I am also known. For a long time, I I was puzzled by this. and, And the Lord helped me to see. When I look in a mirror, see, what do you see when you look in a mirror? A reflection of yourself. That's the proper word here. I know it says a a glass darkly. And this has been preached over the years, over the decades, centuries. When you get to heaven, right now you don't know what's going on, why you're going through that, but God knows. And when you get to heaven, the glass darkly will be clear and you'll understand why you had to go through that, why you went through that sickness, why God let you do this. That's not what he's talking about. For now as a child, when I look in the mirror, I see dimly. Well, what he's saying is, when I look in the mirror, and I can't see myself. It's something in the way. It's foggy. It's fuzzy. There's something that's making it dim between me, the mirror, and back to me. What is in the way that's stopping me from seeing me? It's your carnality. The flesh, this is what he's rebuking them for, is that you're walking with God and you've allowed yourself to pursue working with God in miracles without working with God in holiness. And so here you are bragging about how God used you while you don't walk in love and holiness and you should be embarrassed. We have whole books, seminars all about chapter 12. And really it should be, don't be chapter 12. (laughs) For now, we see in a mirror as immature, as children. I look in the mirror and I'm trying to see me as who God says I am. But yet it's dim. Why? Because there's too much of Alan in the way. But if I walk in love, then I will be mortifying Alan, the carnality, the natural man, and allowing God to walk in love through me. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. So in other words, when I mature in love, when we grow in love and holiness in all that God is, I'll look in the mirror and see clearly who God's been telling me I am and has always known me as. You're my child. You're righteous. You're holy. That's who I made you. You had to get the carnality, the Allen, the pride, the selfishness out of the way so you can actually see who I've been talking about all the time. So let's get back to what good are we preachers? Are we supposed to be entertainers? Are we supposed to be encouragers? See, as a preacher, I'm now limited to what I can do with you. And I'm talking the same as you in other people's lives. That now, because I can't tell you who you're supposed to be, I can't tell you how to walk in your calling. I can't tell you how to walk in the giftings. I may be six foot ten and great at basketball. I can't tell you how to be as great as I am. I may be an entrepreneur full of finances. I can't tell you how to do it. Because every wisdom I'll give you will come from the carnal mind. But what I can do is introduce you to the Holy Spirit who knows you, knows how to help you to overcome yourself, knows how to help you to walk in love, Let me introduce you to the Holy Spirit. Pastor Dave, I'll close with this. Uh, We go to Brazil three, four times a year. 
and every service, because we do two services a day, maybe ten services a week, every single service for all the years. Maybe there might have been one, but I doubt it. Every single service ended with, if you're not baptized in the Holy Ghost, you need to get baptized today. And I'm talking about preacher conferences. And after they've been there on five days, this is the 10th service, I'm like, Pastor Dave, there can't be anyone left. You've had the same altar call nine times and got 20, 30 people each time. There's only 600 people here today. Everyone's been down to the altar at least once. But somehow he'd squeeze another 10, 15 people to come down and get baptized in the Holy Ghost. Because he knew how important it was to leave you with the Holy Ghost, thinking I can grow with the help of the Holy Ghost in love, in maturity, and not thinking what a great man of God. What's more important than anything is that you spend time with the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't noticed yet, the enemy does everything he can to discourage you to spend time praying in tongues. Because growth is growth. It's not pretty, but it is important. It's what's going to change your future. So I want to encourage you today. You have a calling. You have a place in the body. You are just as important as anyone else. Let's keep encouraging ourselves and others to grow in love, to spend time with the Holy Ghost. The time will come when we will have our revival, where we'll be so busy praying for people, counseling people, helping people, encouraging people, that you won't have time. You won't have time. You'll be exhausted because we worked you so hard. I believe that. We believe that. We're on that mission to see Jesus be able to show up like he wanted to, not just in part. That time will come. So don't strive for that so much as strive for spending time with him and growing in love because that is what's going to allow him to do what he wants to do. We're not trying to get one man up there. We're taking a body of people from around the world and we're keeping the standard high and we are walking together as a family, as a body, fully in love. That means that everyone is important Everyone who listens to this message, God's put us together to encourage each other, to strengthen each other, to walk along. When you came to church today and you got your hair all prettied up and your face all prettied up and everything looking good, my wife had to dress me. She picks up my clothes for me. But you didn't leave your left hand at home or your right foot's not sitting there by the dresser. You know, oh, I forgot my glasses. Yeah, you may have forgot your glasses, but your eyeballs are still in your head. You didn't leave part of your body behind. You brought all of you together. Well, that's the growth, the imagery of 1 Corinthians, that we're part of the body. And that every part is important. And the part that's important is that we do it together and constantly bringing each other along, encouraging each other, not competing, saying, I'm more anointed than you are, brother. Because I gave $1,000 today. How much did you give? Because I got the preach and you didn't. I got the prophesy, so I'm more important. No, the body says, 
Come on, we got to go together. I'm not, I can't leave without you. No, I'm just having a bad day. Leave without me. I can't because you're part of my body. So therefore, I'm going to focus on encouraging you to keep going. And let's keep going. Let's keep praying. Let's not let go of what revival we're after. And let's get the right revival that we're after. Because we are going to change the world. You are going to change the world. You're dismissed. God bless you.